The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from pitchless.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today, we're going to talk about the Oakland Athletics, and I know a lot of you thought about skipping this one. No! This is the one you actually should be focusing on because you've heard all about the Garrett Coles and Corbin Burns's and Patrick Sandoval's and uh, Pablo Lopez's. These are the guys that are not getting drafted, but then it's going to be April or May, and one of them's doing well, and you go, ah, I don't know who this guy is. Not you, though, because you're listening to this podcast. I'm going through all, of course, 30 teams in the majors there, starting rotations and breaking them down for the season ahead. And so I guess the ace of the Oakland Athletics is Cole Irvin, who had a one, uh, had 181 innings last year, 913 record, 398 ERA, 116 whip, 17% K rate, and a 5% walk rate. I think a lot of us are surprised to see that 398 ERA and 116 whip. Uh, it's just, he's such a Toby. <laughs> I mean, he had moments of being productive early in the season. He kind of didn't really know if you should trust Irvin on a given day. It is really boring to watch him pitch. I'm so sorry to say this. I had some really cruel things that I was maybe writing, and I thought to myself, how could I ever do that uh, when writing his little blurb? But it was very much of just uh, frustrating. There there are times when I watch uh, pitchers, and I'm not excited by it. You know, I don't see... It's what I think is someone pitching at their potential, and it's just not anything that I would go for. And that's Cole Irvin. He does have a near 13% swing strike rate on his four-seamer, but I don't think his 215 batting average is going to repeat um, next year. He has a 90-91 mile per hour fastball that I just don't really see that repeating. The hook is kind of nice, and it just doesn't do that much. 20% hard contact allowed on that curveball is not what you want. The sinker gets hit well over 30% hard contact on that, so I don't like that. And then the changeup actually does have a good 41% O-swing and 41% zone rate. So it could be a money pitch if it weren't 11% swing strike rate. Above average uh, O-contact, that is essentially gets the O-swing, but they make contact on it. I don't like this. I think Cole Irvin is as Toby as it gets. I mean, that's really the dream, though, to be a Toby. He's more of a spot starter. He's a streamer. And you're still going to get burned by it uh, a decent amount for a not-winning ball club. I think Cole Irvin, of all the guys that uh, I'm going to go through today, might be the one I'm just least interested in because I don't really believe that he's going to take that next step. A lot of people can say, Nick, what are you talking about? All he needs to do is lower Z rate by like four points or 0.4 points so that 398 turns into 358 and he has that 116 whip. 
He's the only one that has a decent whip and close to being productive. I understand that completely. What I'm saying is I'm going to talk about each of the other guys, and I think each of them have a higher ceiling that is worth chasing at some point if something clicks. At this point, I'm not going after any pitcher on the athletics. Maybe Rosinski, but we'll talk about that. However, in season, I don't think I'm going to see anything different from Cole Urban that says, oh, you know what? Maybe I want to consider him while Jimmy Hatt, that is James Capillion, or Paul Blackburn could, or J.P. Sears and Ken Waldachuk, Kyle Muller, Andrew Sisney. Oh, man, I can't say his name. Drew Rusinski. Rusinski. That shouldn't be hard. It's pretty easy. <laughs> they all have things that I do find interesting for 2023 that if they do exercise their ceiling could be much more dependable on a given start than Cole Irvin. I don't think we're going to get to a point with Cole Irvin where I feel comfortable starting him with any regularity. Uh, so let's go next to James Caprillion, who I think is the most interesting of the lot. And last year, 134 innings had some injuries involved at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year. Uh, 4-2-3 ERA, 134 whips, 17% K rate, and a 10% walk rate. You're like, Nick, stop this. However, if you watch his last start of the season against the Mariners, it was six scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, zero earned runs. And since July 1st through the end of the year, Caprillion had a 3-1-8 ERA. Now, the whip was not good. But still, 3180, right? You can understand that this might work. His four-seamer can climb to 95-96. It sat around 94 and change. But I saw it in that start, actually, 95-96. And it has about a 13% swing strike rate at times. Well, that was 2021. Last year was about an 8% mark. And it was very confusing trying to understand why does James Capillion have a massive drop on his four-seamer swing strike rate from season to season? Pretty much the same velocity, near same locations, spin is the same, movement's kind of the same. It, it doesn't really make sense to me. The best I could find, and I, I hope one of you can point out a bigger difference for me, was his usage. He had a much higher put-away rate on his four-seamer in 2021. And maybe that's just execution of when Capriolian would throw his four-seamer was different in 2021 versus 2022. Thus, he would get more whiffs. I don't know. To me, it does say, if there's such a big difference and I can't quite pinpoint it, it does say, oh, look, it's not likely an 8% swing strike rate. It's more likely an 11% or so. Uh, maybe something in between the two. And watching it, you get it. He is a bit of a slinger on it. And it's very wild. Only a 61% swing, uh, sorry, 61% strike rate for James Capillion's four-seamer last year. As he couldn't quite find his command, he was battling a lot with it, even in that final Mariner's start. So what I see, though, is pairing that four-seamer. If that becomes a four-seamer, that isn't a detriment to him. Instead, is one that he's able to get strikes at a 65% plus rate. You'll see that 10% walk rate go down to 8% or so. And then you have a slider that is really good. It has fantastic movement uh, across the plate. I was getting a little bit giddy watching this start from James Capillion because you saw legitimate upside in this. And then he has a curveball that he throws for strikes, generally-ish, but he could. Change it with nice movement down. There's a whole package here. When Caprillion has an at-bat that he's executing, ooh, it is really, really nice. There are a lot of guys that they can do what they're trying to do, and you just go, oh, well, that didn't work out. And that's kind of that. And their whole shtick is executing with consistency and hoping for the best. James Caprillion is fighting himself right now. He's battling himself, not the pitch, sorry, not the hitter. And if he gets to a point where Caprillion is battling the hitter and not himself... I might be jumping on board uh, with Caprillion in the season. So 
just something to think about with him. Don't don't rule him out completely. And uh, for now, I'm not going to take a chance on this. I think he's still going to be battling this command for a good while. He could turn into a Toby, though. He could turn into something that you actually do want to buy into. So keep him in mind. Um, I will say also, as I normally do at the beginning of the season, who are the Athletics facing? They are facing the Angels uh, for three games. And then they are facing a weaker team that I just completely forgot about. But, oh, the Guardians. I got there. Guardians, okay. Angels, all right. I mean, it's Shohei. It's Trout. It's a little dangerous. Um, But uh, Brandon Drury, right? Um, Maybe a healthier Taylor Ward and Jared Walsh are in there, too. I wouldn't necessarily be uh, favorable to Caprillion starting against the Angels if you were. Same with Cole Irvin, but you could do worse things. And there are other guys to really consider here with Paul Blackburn and Waldachuk, Sears, Rusinski, and Muller. And we're going to talk about them after this break. Paul Blackburn last year, if you rostered him, you knew that his 111 innings pitched, 428 ERA, and 126 whip do not tell the whole story. That is... Across his last five games, final five games of the year, he allowed 25 earned runs, including a 10 earned run game that itself added 70 points to his ERA. It would have been 3.61 ERA if he hadn't pitched that one game. And if he didn't pitch any of those five games, it would have been a 2.6 ERA with a 1.16 whip. So there's something to be said about that. Also ended the season with injury as well. But even when he was doing, uh, it was performing at that sparkling level. Paul Blackburn wasn't really someone that I trusted. He has this big hook. I call it a big boy hook. And what those are the ones that are more over the top. It's kind of like the Chris Bassett one. Then it's a huge vertical movement pitch. Uh, it's nice to look at. It's your typical like, oh yeah, this is a curveball. Curveball, right? But I think that the, the cutter... I mean, actually, the cutter was well-located. 20% hard contact, but had a huge batting average allowed, or I think like 360 or 380, something along that, and that should get better. But boy, is that that sinker bad. It is horrific. Uh, We're talking lots of hard contact, uh, 35% usage. It's just not good. I'm not liking where he's pointing the ball. And that's really the problem I see, is it's a sinker with a good hook. It wasn't this game-winning hook at the beginning of the year maybe it was better but by the end not not as much the cutter you put it in generally in the right spot but guys were still able to hit it and I do wonder actually the velocity difference between the cutter and the sinker is kind of too close um or it, it's just not enough of a movement differentiate I don't know what it is but it seemed like it was easier for them to hit the cutter maybe it's because of those lower velocity and just less or they get more time to adjust to it I don't know I'm just throwing out stupid theories but it was still an easier to hit cutter than I expected. Um, then again, 20% hard contact. What am I even talking about? I don't know. All I'm trying to get at is Paul Blackburn has this really bad sinker where the cutter and the curveball are not enough to avoid it for a full season. 15 teamers, Paul Blackburn isn't so bad. That can work. He can be a Toby. He can just get you a decent amount of wins and some strikeouts without killing your ratios. I generally don't go for this kind of thing because it doesn't push the needle enough. And you are also on the hook here. I mean, he had a 10 run running game last year. So it's not like Paul Blackburn has no floor that or has a really high floor or something. No, it's, it's still bad. It's not as bad as some other guys, but still not great. So I don't want to go after Paul Blackburn. Um, if he does figure out a solution with that sinker and the, the curveball really prevents hard contact more than what we saw for the full year, then maybe I'll get interested again in Paul Blackburn, especially as a spot starter for a streamer. Ken Waldachuk and J.P. Sears both came over in the 
uh, Frankie Montes deal. And one of them is going to get a rotation spot, likely, with Drew Rusinski. I got to get this right. Rusinski, <laughs> I think. Uh, or unless it's Rukinski. I'm going to say it's Rusinski. Uh, is likely to get a, a roster spot, had the one-year, three million deal. I'll talk about him in a second. Uh, but I want to talk about Waldachuk and Sears first. And I think Waldachuk is going to be the guy. I think there's more of a ceiling here with the Waldachuk. 34 innings last year, near 5 ERA, but a 121 whip and a 23% K rate with a 7% walk rate. There's something to that. It's about a 16% K minus walk rate. His four-seamer has potential, 94 miles per hour. Uh, and if it's able to carry a 65% plus high lock, that is high location, maybe add some a, a little bit more velocity to it, uh, there might be something there. The secondaries are too volatile at the moment. There is some nice times with the slider, but it's just it's not enough at the moment for me to believe in it. However, he gets more playing time. He's comfortable inside the A's rotation. I don't really think they're going to be pulling him out of it if he's starting from the season. And, you know, they have Sears and they have Muller, but and Adam Alder, who I'm not even going to talk about. <laughs> uh, but what I'm getting at is the A's have nothing to lose. Sure, just start Waldachuk and maybe he develops into something bigger, right? So can Waldachuk, if there are tweaks to be made with that command in general and consistency of, of the secondaries, maybe he actually does turn into something. Uh, I'm not going to rule that one out, uh, but I'm not going to chase this whatsoever. Way too risky at the moment. Same with JP Sears. Sears has a really nice slider. The fastball to me is just not good enough. 36% hard contact rate, uh, 316 batting average allowed. He had a nice little stretch when he was first in Oakland Athletic in August, but the BABIP on Sears' four-seamer was too good. <laughs> it was too small, and uh, that caught up to him. Like Waldachuk, if he gets more opportunity to kind of figure that out, there is a ceiling that is uh, worthwhile for 12-teamers if you know that fastball gets fixed because of that slider. I don't want to buy into it. And again, remember, with all of these guys, not a high-win pitcher because it's the athletics. So they really need to be that much better in strikeouts or ratios for this to be worthwhile. Keep that in mind. Um, so Sears and Waldachuk, I prefer Waldachuk over Sears. I don't really believe in Sears being this really good hard contact mitigator to justify the 386 ERA. And I think Waldachuk's stuff is just overall better. Um, don't like let the 1.1 difference in ERA sway you for Sears. Waldachuk is a better pitcher in my book. Um, Drew Rosinski, he has a one-year deal, $3 million uh, coming over from the KBO. If you remember him from before being a reliever, so he's retooled himself a little bit, had a 297 ERA, 24% strikeout rate, has a lot of ground balls apparently. This is what I know. Command-focused guy. He feel, he, The quote is, he's more polished and he feels more in line with his stuff. I mean, he's more of a veteran Toby, right? Think of him like that. It's about seeing what it looks like in spring. I bet I'm going to be very unmoved by Rusinski. I bet he's going to be like low 90s, something along those lines. And likely just going to be a streamer. Nothing too exciting. I can imagine him being a very good sleeper for deep leagues, 15 teamers, maybe AL only. Just because he should be someone, from what I'm reading to be a Toby. And I don't care for this in a 12-teamer, but I care for that in deeper leagues, AL onlys. So if you're in one of those, Rosinski is a really nice, hey, someone I can start that isn't going to destroy my ratios, cross my fingers. That's my interpretation as of right now. But who knows? I mean, look, we've seen a lot of these guys make get these deals. Chris Flexen, um, Merrill Kelly, Miles Michaelis. Rarely have they actually been 
an atrocity. So if it's not an atrocity and he's starting regularly in AO only, that's worth your time, isn't it? Um, the last one is Kyle Muller. He came over in the Sean Murphy three-way deal. And I think it's the most interesting part of the whole thing. I know other people care about the prospects and uh, Sean Murphy going over there. I mean, yes, Kyle Muller is a prospect, but one that we know because he's pitched in majors uh, for two years already with very little re- regularity. But I remember when he first came up, he was throwing a 94-mile-per-hour fastball and then had two breaking balls that seemingly were legit in his slider and his curveball. Very limited uh, sample thus far. The slider looks to be more of the whiff pitch while the curveball is still figuring itself out. But I do see those two pitches as being potential whiff offerings that can get guys out. The question is, is how good is that 94-mile-per-hour fastball from the left side? I remember seeing some games at 92-93. And also, lots of low location on it. I think... Muller would be excellent as a BSB guy. That is Blake Snell blueprint, four seamers up, breaking balls down. Maybe he is just a guy like, no, I love going low fastballs and playing my slider off of that. I don't know, but I'm excited because now he has an opportunity. I mean, he doesn't run out of the gate. He's maybe the number seven with the athletics with Sears being the sixth. But with Atlanta, Atlanta wasn't going to let Kyle Muller go with regularity. The athletics like, sure, we've got a spot. Here you go, Muller. Have a wonderful time. And I cannot wait for that because no one's going to care when it happened in your 12-teamers. So that means you can just sit back, see what Kyle Muller is pumping. And if we like it, we can go and get it. As of now, do not care in 12-teamers. Dynasty leagues, honestly, I don't really think that you should be doing it in your standard 12-team dynasty. I don't think the ceiling is high enough. However, I'm intrigued for this year and I will be watching his starts with anticipation Hopefully, uh, he does some exciting stuff and maybe figures out how to be effective with that fastball instead of the slider. And hopefully, the curveball actually gets enough strikes, which we didn't see before. And guess what? The Athletics, well, they actually made another signing. Uh, Shintaro Fujinami from Japan has been signed by the Oakland Athletics and is expected to start. Other teams were hoping to get him in relief, but Athletics said, you know what? You want to start? Come on by! And that shakes some things up here. We have Ken Waldachuk, likely not in the rotation. I'm going to say James Capellian is the number four, number five now. Uh, J.P. Sears isn't in it. Kyle Muller, all of that stuff. So it is a little interesting. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of it because of the, the lack of intrigue, I think, from those younger guys, at least in the spring. If they do so well, I don't really see how they get into the rotation as James Capellian should be in that rotation. But for uh, Fujinami, you're wondering, is he worth the uh, the attention? Well, he was a phenom uh, in Japan for a while. Then he had a laborious start. I think it was like 160-plus pitches where after that he wasn't the same. 2017, 2021 um, was really struggling. But 2022, he came back and did well. I don't want to say he soared and was incredible once again. But 338 ERA, 67 frames in Japan. He throws upper 90s, uh, sometimes forts with 100, has a ridiculous slider, and apparently increased his splitter uh, usage in 2022. And we'll see how that translates over to here. My concerns are twofold. One, it's always been a command thing with Fujinami, and it seems as if that is why teams wanted him as a reliever. Thus, I don't think we're going to see high strike rates on the splitter. Don't not going to see high strike rates on the slider. And then he's six foot six. And if there's anything that we've learned about VAA, it's that the guys that are six foot six are generally too tall to have the right approach angle for four seamers. Thus, him throwing 99 or so 
isn't actually what we want considering when he throws up it's going to be a better angle for guys to hit and that 99 comes in more like 95 or something like that as a and and relatively so we'll see what we get what's really exciting i think we'll know quickly in the spring if Fujinami is worthwhile um, not the worst 12-teamer pick because, hey, if he's throwing upper 90s and it's successful up in the zone and he has a wipeout slider and a ridiculous splitter, like, fantastic. <laughs> um, he's the cost of free right now. Something to absolutely consider. Uh, it, it does really look like the Athletics are going to give him a proper chance in the rotation. That's why he signed with the Athletics. It's because they said, yes, you are going to start as opposed to relieving for other teams. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll be uh, obviously covering it in the spring. He might enter my top 100 because of this. As someone that you can make your decision quickly. He would get theoretically the Guardians first. That's the Angels, right? For three games and then three more for the Guardians. I don't think he's going to beat the uh, the top three for the Athletics. So that's what you should expect. But we'll, we'll see from Fujinami. Um, I'm not expecting a whole lot. Um, but that's going to do it for this edition of the Plus Pitch Podcast. Make sure you rate and review. And of course, reach out to me on Twitter if you enjoy the podcast. Um, but that's it. So my name is Nick Pollock, and may your bat be low and your strikeouts high.